Hey listeners, as you might have noticed, there wasn't an episode released last week. The reason being is that my wife and I welcomed our daughter Mia into the world. This will also bring some changes to the podcast for the next little while. Instead of a solo episode being released on Thursdays, I will release a second interview episode. Thank you for your continued loyalty to the podcast, and I look forward to getting back to my regular schedule in the future. Welcome to the Vulnerable Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Almeida. Each week, we'll share inspiring stories and tips on facing vulnerability and the lessons we can use to help us be able to find success and fulfillment in our own lives. With each episode, we hope to impact one listener. And if anything you've heard has impacted you, we'd appreciate you sharing it on social. Thank you for listening. Now let's get vulnerable. David J. Schwartz said, Believe it can be done. When you believe something can be done, really believe, your mind will find the ways to do it. Believing a solution paves the way to solution. This is episode 37 of the Vulnerable Podcast with Dylan Slattery. Today's guest was quite literally born into vulnerability, as his father took his own life a month before he was born. He would then face mental health struggles of his own and being diagnosed with cancer twice. This is only some of what he shares in this episode, but it will definitely make you realize what's possible when you believe in yourself. Now he's speaking on stages, sharing his story to inspire others, helping them realize that life is going to throw you a ton of challenges and how your self-belief can make all the difference. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get vulnerable with Dylan Slattery. Hey Dylan, thank you for coming on the Vulnerable Podcast. I really appreciate having you on. Um, we connected, I think it was probably about a year and a half ago or so when I had done started the, the Vulnerable Subject as an article series and was planning to write an article about you and then realized articles are long and they take a while. And so I switched over to a podcast and I'm just glad you uh, agreed to come on. Yeah, the story's going to be a book soon. So uh, yeah, it would have been a long article. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome. And and I look forward to uh, helping you promote that book in any way that I can when you get there. If, if that means coming back on or whatever I can do, uh, I'm definitely here to help. Awesome. Appreciate that. So the first question I ask every guest is what is your definition of vulnerability? Yeah, I think vulnerability, what it comes down to is just the willingness to be unconditionally yourself and I think uh, as we work through some of the different aspects of my story some of the things that is going to come out is that whenever there's tension a lot of it is to me around the idea that we feel like we need to be someone else or depending on who we're around or what situation we're in and what I've found is that when you're at the most peace or having and experiencing the most peace you can have it's because you're yourself in all situations. And I think that's been where my journey has led me to and uh, how I've come to experience a lot of peace in my life, despite uh, some of the circumstances that I've been through. No, and and I couldn't agree more. And, you know, it's still interesting to me that each person's definition is different in its own way. And, you know, but the one thing I'm definitely seeing a lot of recently is how many people, how most people connect the whole, the idea of vulnerability to, to knowing yourself as much as you can, um, which I, I, like I said, I couldn't agree is really important. So what would you say thinking back is, would be your earliest memory of going through something vulnerable or some sort of struggle in your life? 
that's an interesting question. Um, yeah, I think there's a few, I mean, earliest memories and just to kind of jump right into it, uh, was probably around, um, understanding my dad. So my dad passed away a month before he, before I was born, he, he, uh, took his own life. And so understanding what that was about and, um, when I was in second grade, uh, one of my teachers, I don't think understood what I, you know, the situation and, uh, and actually said that anyone who commits suicide is going to hell. And I just kind of like broke down and, and had a breakdown in front of my entire class. And that was probably the first, uh, vulnerable moment that I had around, you know, the decision that my dad made and, and things like that. So, um, that was probably the earliest moment if I had to pin that down. So, I mean, you know, aside from like that moment in particular and, and just in terms of what you're saying there and, uh, you know, having to sort of cope with that at such a young age, is there anything that you can think of at that time that you did or, or that helped you sort of get through that? Was it just family that was around you? Was it friends? Was it, was there anything or, or was that something that stuck with you for, for quite some time? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I kind of had suppressed or forgotten about that moment until having a conversation recently, but I think it played a bigger impact uh, on me than I thought. Um, And kind of coming to terms with, you know, what that meant and understanding perhaps, you know, maybe what he was thinking and what contributed to ultimately the decision that he made. uh, I think, you know, started to become clearer as I got older and had more life experience behind me and actually came to a point where I was considering suicide myself in my early 20s. So um, I think, you know, going through something like that myself helped me better relate to maybe what he was thinking uh, in those moments. Oh, well, I mean, and I could, I, I, that's uh, a tough one to be honest with you. I'm kind of lost for words because I I don't think I've ever spoken to somebody who, who was able to relate that much to somebody else's situation. I mean, for you to be thinking about it yourself and be able to relate back to, to what what happened with your father and then help that almost, I guess, from what it sounds like, almost help you not do it or help you get through that moment. Yeah, you know, I think especially with the emphasis on mental health these days, there's still kind of this idea around, especially suicide, that it's selfish. And I don't believe that at all. Um, Not one bit. In fact, I think that when you're in that situation, reality is so warped to the extent that you believe you're such a burden on those around you that you're actually doing them a favor. Um, And that's just the world that they see. And like I said, I've been there, honestly, um, was contemplating that. And ironically enough, one of the appeals to suicide for me was the opportunity in my mind to, you know, quote unquote, meet my father, if you will. And uh, that that's just how warped reality gets for people who are in that position. And uh, it's a scary place to be, honestly. And, you know, there's a quote out there that says the, you know, one of the worst places you can be is in your mind alone. And so it was through the help of, of family and especially my mom um, to come to grips with where I was at and where I was struggling and why I was struggling. And again, a lot of that tension came down to the fact that I felt like I needed to be someone for different groups of people. When in fact, uh, what I've found is that 
they're perfectly uh, fine with me being myself. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, that's, that's what I've learned through that experience. So it's, it seems to me when I go back to that question where I asked, you know, sort of getting through these situations and, and, and you know, pushing through them as much as you could, um, it seems to me that family was one of the things that helped you the most. And in this case, it seems like your mother more specifically. Yeah, I mean, we've had a, we, her and I have a very special relationship because uh, I'm the oldest of four. So I'm the only child that she had with my dad. Uh, obviously, he passed away before I was born. So they never had the opportunity to have more kids. Um, and then she was remarried when I was two. And I have three younger half brothers. We're all about three and a half years apart. And, um, you know, I, I would do anything for my three younger brothers. So no, family is super important to me. No, and and I and I can totally understand that. I've come to that realization recently in my life. I haven't had, uh, you know, fortunately for myself, I haven't had anything that crazy to go through to to make that point. But I've definitely realized recently that you know, family is is really a an important part of all of our lives, and that we have to make more of an effort to realize that. Because I think part of me thinks that because they're our family, we sort of feel like it's, you know, it's a, a, an obligatory relationship. Like, you know, you're my mother, you're my brother, whatever. So that means you have to like me or we have to get along or whatever. And at the end of the day, that's not necessarily true. And we have to still put in that effort just like we would with a friendship or anything else. So um, definitely a, a, an important point. Yeah, I think that that's a good point too, is uh, there's situations where that can get unhealthy um, to where, you know, family, you know, relationships within family are unhealthy and you feel obliged to, uh, you know, to carry on with those relationships. Um, but to me, family goes way beyond blood. Um, although I, I'm very lucky to have a strong, you know, blood related, uh, family as well. <laughs> no, for sure. So, you know, would, there, would you say there was any sort of strengths that you discovered in yourself or anything that, you know, going through more stuff in your future and everything, anything that happened like that you can think of from, you know, up until that age of 20, you know, in your younger age, uh, going through those things, is there any sort of new strengths that presented themselves in yourself, anything that that brought out in you? Yeah, I mean, well, one thing that I've always loved is just competing. Uh, I've loved sports. I played four sports in high school. I was an Eagle Scout, so I've always liked to be outside. Um, but over and over and over again, what uh, really came to the forefront was just the desire to lead and impact other people. So were you ever like a captain? I'm just curious because <laughs> saying that – it just makes me wonder. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely captain, you know, leader within the Boy Scout troop and things like that. So, um, and then I, I got into coaching as well after after high school. So, you know, that's something that I've always loved to do is pour into others and help them find a, a better version of themselves that they, they didn't believe was possible. No, and I, one thing I hear over and over again, and I've probably said it on a few episodes, is that, um, you know, whether it's through other podcasts or books that I've read, is they say that, you know, you only find, like, the, the true sort of, I guess, happiness and fulfillment and everything in your life when you're in service of others. Like you definitely have to take care of yourself first because otherwise you can't really help others if you're not 100% yourself. But at the same time, again, like I said, what I've heard is that when you're in service of others is when you're going to really figure, find out what, what life's true meaning is. Yeah. And I think that's one of the other appeals to, to sport for me is um, the brotherhood aspect, you know, the camaraderie and, uh, building relationships with your team members and just the idea of how 
you can come together as a team and maybe have less talent than, than another team that you're playing. But because of that uh, close-knit uh, tightness uh, between you all, you can overcome more adversity than the other team is willing to take on because they're more of a collective group of individuals rather than a tightly knit team. And you see it over and over and over again, uh, whether it's you know family or in sports, uh, when adversity hits, uh, how you handle that largely comes down to the foundation that you've built within the relationships that exist. Well, again, more another key point, and you're bringing up a lot of them already, and we're only uh, you know a few minutes into the interview, so I have a feeling that this one's definitely going to be an impactful one. Um, usually, the next question I would ask would be something in terms of like, what was the emotional toll that these vulnerabilities and struggles took on you? But I think that you've sort of touched on that in terms of like how it affected you, and even bringing you to a point in your own life where where you thought you know maybe taking your own life was the best option. So, you know, instead, would you mind sharing any other stories that you have in terms of like, you know, vulnerabilities and struggles that you've been through? I mean, I know from talking to you a bit, one of the one of the bigger ones, but I'll let you sort of take the floor here and and share what you'd like. Yeah, I think, you know, the interesting point there is, you know, we talked about, you know, the leadership aspects uh, of sport and, you know, I have a strong foundation. Um, You know, I was active in our church growing up with scouts and all those things and by a lot of accounts had built a strong foundation and, and uh, a strong identity in who I was. But um, for all the parents out there listening and, and even people who are maybe at, you know, one of those inflection points in their life, you can still get to a place where you feel like uh, you're building a house on, on choosing to build a house on sand instead of building the house on the foundation that was built. And I felt like that's where I ended up. Uh, in my college years where although I had built such a strong foundation in my younger years, you know, pre-18, I got to this point where I was studying something where I wasn't exactly all in, wasn't sure where that was going to lead me. And, uh, and then adversity started to hit and that foundation, as I had started to build this, you know, house on, on sand started to erode from underneath me. And I, I truly felt uh, lost at that point. And so, you know, the adversities that I'm alluding to is the fact that um, when I was 22, I was, I was diagnosed with melanoma for the first time and that it really shook me to my core. And because I had kind of, you know, run away from that foundation that I had built at a young age, um, I didn't have anything to fall back on. So, so you know, so you said the first time. So I'm assuming that that means that you didn't just beat it the first time and then that was it. Like, it seems like there's a little bit more there. Yeah, so there was an 18-month span starting at basically my 22nd birthday. So days after I turned 22, I um, I spent my my mom and my stepdad's anniversary up in Minnesota at the Mayo Clinic where uh, I had surgery on my neck. So I actually have a scar. Uh, you can't see it right now. I'm actually bundled up. <laughs> uh, yeah. at, at, for those that can't see, I'm at Winter Park right now at the base of the mountain. Uh, I'm going to do some skiing this afternoon. But um, underneath my hat and my uh, you know scarf and coat, I have a seven-inch scar that runs from the top of my ear, kind of that hockey stick scar that they speak of. And uh, I had a mole on my neck, and it was at the point about one centimeter in depth where they were concerned about whether or not it was uh, deep enough to be spreading into my lymph system and perhaps even beyond that. And so that's why I had such an extensive surgery at that point for just, you know, quote unquote, just a mole. 
the margins came back clear. And so they told me I could go on with life as normal. And so I uh, went back to coaching baseball that summer. Um, and then the following winter, uh, so, you know, the, the surgery was in April. And then December of that year, I was back home in Iowa for Christmas break. And we were celebrating a friend's birthday. And we were in a single vehicle car accident where six of us were in a truck that uh, crossed the center line and, and hit the ditch. And then we uh, ended up hit, hitting an embankment and the truck rolled, um, we think, up to six times. And, you know, when it came to a halt, one of, the, one of my friends that was in the vehicle was partially ejected and killed. And so, you know, I did CPR on her for as long as I could until I knew she was no longer with us. But uh, that was something that really stuck with me. And, uh, you know, I would never wish that on anyone, but uh, it really kind of messed me up and shook me to my core even more. So, you know, I mentioned that I was pursuing a, a few degrees that I wasn't exactly like all in about. And so, my plan going into college was I was either going to be a teacher and a coach like, you know, one of my mentors and father figures, my baseball coach, um, or I was going to go into to business um, because that's kind of the track that my mom uh, was in. You know, she's a, a CFO of a bank. And so I wanted to leave those opportunities open. But the further I got into it, um, the more that I realized that it just wasn't my true passion and calling. No, I mean, the, the amount of adversity that you've gone through. I mean, how, how old are you now, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, so I'm 28. So all of this uh, has really Jeez. just happened in the last six years. Yeah, no, but I mean, just in terms of like, so you're, you're saying up to about 23, it sounds like they're, um, you know, 22 when you were diagnosed. And then it sounds like not only less than a few months later, it was when that accident happened. And then also everything that you've already spoken about from your younger days and up into your 20s and everything. I mean, the amount of adversity that you faced at one person is uh, shocking to me. And and I mean, I don't hope that doesn't come off the wrong way, but it just, I, I can't imagine it. Like I said, I, I was already lost for words before. And even right now, I'm kind of like, like, how does one person like, face that much adversity in their life and still find, you know, the, the strength or whatever you want to call it to do what you're doing now, like, you know, going on stage and, and deciding to make these sort of big moves in their life. Yeah, it's been a process, you know, like, uh, at this very moment when I was, uh, you know, right after the car accident, I was very bitter. Um, I, I turned to things of the world, you know, alcohol, drugs, even food to help mask reality and what it was uh, to try and run away from, you know, the feelings that I was feeling. I wasn't, I was not willing to be vulnerable at all. You know, I'd put up these fronts and, um, you know, act like everything was okay when inside it definitely wasn't. And, uh, you know, things came to the forefront in March of the following year. So right before my 23rd birthday, um, I woke up to my mom uh, shaking me awake in my college apartment. Um, and, you know, she asked me if I was okay. And I said, yeah, uh, a little bit confused. And then the next question she asked me was why I wasn't in class. And, you know, I talked about the tension of feeling like you need to be someone else for the people around you. And I got to the point in my life where, you know, after the accident, I didn't understand what the point of anything was. I was asking the question, like, you know, why me? Why is all of this stuff happening to me? Um, and is the suffering worth it? 
And uh, luckily, I've always surrounded myself with good people. And my friends uh, reached out to my mom um, because I had I had shared some things of you know being hopeless and and lacking direction and purpose with them when I was under the influence of alcohol. And you know they reached out to her because they were worried that I was potentially going to hurt myself or you know perhaps take my own life. And so she didn't take that very lightly. And the you know the reason being obviously is because of my dad, but what my friends didn't realize was the day they reached out to her was the 23rd anniversary of him actually taking his own life. And so, you know, when I look back at the story, I can only explain some of these things by, you know, truly divine intervention where it's, you know, it's easy to say looking back, but like you couldn't write a better script to the story than how it's played out in a lot of ways. Um, Just because there's been a lot of, you know, coincidences, if you will, and, and things where it's just like, you, you never, you never would have seen the plot twist coming. And, uh, you know, if, if we try to control every aspect of our life there, it leaves no room for those kind of pleasant surprises that, uh, tend to come up when we trust. No, for sure. I mean, one thing I've realized in the last few years of my life, I don't really believe there's such thing as coincidences anymore because too many things have happened sort of the way that, like you're saying, where it's sort of like this divine intervention or you can't really explain it for me to even believe in coincidences anymore because it's just what, after the first couple of times, you're like, okay, that was just a coincidence. And then the third, fourth, fifth, you're like, okay, wait a second, something, something's up here. So I couldn't agree with you more in, in, that, in that case. You know, but again, it's just, you know, to me, it's, it's sort of crazy how that all works out and, and how it's sort of, you know, the one thing I'm trying to do with this podcast is really get people to understand that the, the vulnerabilities and the struggles that you face in your life are the things that can actually propel you and move you forward. And I I think your story, as I said, a few minutes ago, is just showing that over and over and over again. And that's why I think it's going to be majorly impactful because again, I think you're just really showing people that, you know, you might face adversity one time, three times, 10 times, um, but with the right people around you and, you know, doing your best to work on sort of your mindset and, you know, the things that you can do, you know, will will definitely help you get out of it. And the other thing that I think was important that you brought up is about control. I think far too many of us try and control way too much of our life when in fact, I don't think we're in control whatsoever. <laughs> I think that, you know, in some, some ways, sure. But I think in a lot of ways, we're not, not really fully in control of what, what happens in our life. Yeah. And, and, you know, with that, I think when we do start to let go of the control a little bit, we start to see that life tends to, tends to drop uh, subtle hints, uh, especially around who, who we are as people. And so, you know, I mentioned after the surgery, I went home and coached baseball for the or summer. And the same was true, you know, after my mom, you know, shook me awake we decided that it was in my best interest to leave school. And and fortunately for me, I had done well enough in the years leading up to that point, you know, pursuing a double major and and sometimes taking over 20 credits in a semester where I had enough credits, I could graduate on the spot. Um, So I did that. I went home and coached baseball. So again, it's like, I'm, I'm pursuing my passions. And yet I didn't even know that that was one of the things that would truly keep me going at at a time when I was uh, felt truly in despair. And so, you know, I went home, coached baseball for the summer at the high school that I went to and with my coach, uh, you know, that was by and large one of the most impactful people that I've ever been around and was a true father figure and a leader in my life. Um, and then September of that year, just after baseball got over, I uh, woke up on a Saturday morning to go to an Iowa football game 
and uh, I had this golf ball sized lump just show up in six hours from the time I went to bed to the time that I woke up uh, right underneath my jawline about an inch from that scar that I had gotten literally just 18 months before that and so I knew the cancer was back uh, I didn't know how bad it was and again for the day you know while I was at the football game I just pretended like I didn't know what was going on and people would ask me about it because you know it caused me to slur my words because I couldn't open my mouth on the right side uh, all the way because of the you know the mass that had just showed up and so uh, yeah we went back up to Mayo Clinic the the following week and that's when it was one of the worst weeks of my life to be honest it was uh, every scan every test that they did they found tumors in more places and so it was just you know again it was one of those experiences where it was like gut punch after gut punch and you know first they told me that I had obviously in the neck and then um they found two tumors in my liver on my lung and then the the real dagger was when they told me that I had uh three tumors in my spine and that the prognosis was less than 15 percent chance of survival and so you know at 23 years old basically being told that you're probably going to die. Uh, it's just a matter of time. Um, not exactly what you want. No. And so uh, it's, it's interesting too. You know, I, one of the things that I talk a lot about is the story you tell yourself. And it's so important, the words that you use in the story you tell yourself. And so just an example of that is, you know, when I was diagnosed at the Mayo Clinic, uh, they, they basically, it was very grim outlook. Uh, it was kind of like, well, chances are you're, you're going to die. And then I went to the University of Iowa to get a second opinion, and they presented the same treatment option, but said, and it was just the framing that was different. They said, this is your best chance. Um, you know, the numbers didn't change. It was still less than 15% chance, um, but it was just the belief and the passion that the doctors and the personnel carried at that point. And that's why I truly believe, you know, whether it's, it's sales or, or life, you know, relationships are key and it's all about belief. And so through all of this, you know, I, I get introduced to a lot of recently diagnosed, especially young people. And a question that I get on a lot of podcast interviews is what do you share with, with someone who's recently been diagnosed? And it might be tough coming from someone who doesn't have the, the same experience that I do. Um, but when I speak with someone who's been recently diagnosed, the one thing that I share is that belief is the most important word in the English language. And so if you believe, you have a chance. If you don't believe, you don't have a chance. And that's just how powerful the mind is. And, you know, the body follows what the mind says. And so if, if we can start to, you know, dictate that story that we write, that's how we can give ourselves a chance for a miracle to take place. No, I, again, you know, like you're just throwing curveball after curveball at me. <laughs> like this is, <laughs> this was unexpected. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I did a little bit of research on you, but I, I tend not to dig too deep only because I, I think that it sort of takes away from the, the whole sort of vulnerability of the interview and everything, if I know everything. So, um, you know, but again, like just curveball after curveball here. But the one thing that you said there towards the end of that, 
um, I couldn't agree with more. When I when I sort of you know lost my job a few years ago, which is you know nothing in comparison to to what sort of you're talking about and everything. Um, you know, the, I I was talking to people about you know where what I was doing with my life and and how I you know got through it and where I was moving and everything. And the one point that I tried to make to a lot of people is that you know you have to believe in yourself because everybody was saying, well, what if this person doesn't like what I put out there? What if this person doesn't you know do this and that? And I said, if you don't believe in yourself, it doesn't matter what twenty people say because the only person yeah. that matters, the only opinion that matters, is the one that you have of yourself, not the one that everybody else has. So again, I you know whether it's you know, overcoming something like you overcame or just in general in life, you have to have self-belief because if you don't, you can't expect anybody else to believe in you either. Yeah. And it, you know, it goes as far as like, even my mom, who's always been my number one supporter. Um, she, when I was diagnosed stage four, she went and visited uh, a high school classmate of mine, uh, his mom. And when I was 19, he was 20. Uh, he missed three days of class because of uh, stomach cramps. And so finally his roommates were like, uh, you either need to go to class or go to the hospital because he couldn't get out of bed. And so finally he went to the hospital and, and uh, he passed away 17 days later from, from melanoma, which is the same cancer that I had. And, uh, you know, when she came back from talking with his mom, it was like I was it was like I was already dead in her eyes because, you know, that's, that's the story that we had been told up to that point. And, um, it's interesting, you know, as lost as I was at that point in my life, um, I knew how important it was to dictate the story that was being told. And so her and I just had a really harsh conversation and I, you know, I basically said, you know, there's there's two sides to this you either believe in me or you don't uh so it's your it's your decision whose team you're gonna pick but uh i'm moving forward uh with or without you at this point so uh if you want to be on my team hop on the bus because we're not stopping for anyone um and so you know she'll tell she shares the same thing when you know when she tells her side of the story is that uh that was that was the conversation that flipped the switch for her and you know, her and I kind of never looked back. She spent all four weeks with me when I was in the ICU during, during you know, doing treatments three times a day, um, every eight hours. And so that's, that's ultimately where my will was tested. And, you know, one of the things that I share is, you know, at this point where I was truly questioning whether life was worth fighting for, uh, cancer gave me something to fight for. And so there was a few instances where, you know, death was at the doorstep and, uh, it was kind of like, you know, it was, it was kind of like, here's your out. You, you've been wanting this out, uh, take it if you want it. And, uh, it was at that point where I decided that, uh, you know, I, I was going to keep fighting and, and hope to, uh, rewrite the ending of the story. Which, I mean, you, you alluded to a few minutes ago, you know, you you just turned 28. So, um, <laughs> it sounds like you, you definitely have rewritten that story. I mean, um, you're, you're still here, you're still with us and now you're using that story to hopefully help a lot of others. And, and like I said, I hope this one, this episode definitely helps in that, in that fashion and impacting others, because that's really what I'm trying to do here. Like I said, is, is just impact people. And, uh, you know, my goal, as I've said on other episodes is to impact one listener per episode, but I have a feeling yours might impact a few more. Um, so uh, appreciate that. So if you were to take everything that you've sort of shared today and, and I, I don't, is there more that you wanted to share or is, is you know, it's. 
you know, if I would share anything, it's uh, the most important thing you can do is, is truly just to get vulnerable with yourself. Um, you know, this, you shared as far as like losing your job and things like that. And one of the things that I hear a lot of, uh, and it's just natural as humans to, to compare and, and say, you know, oh, his story is bigger than mine or uh, whatever the case may be. And, you know, through my own journey of, of starting a podcast and sharing my story, you know, I've heard stories of Rwandan genocide survivors where at nine years old, he lost a third of his family to machete or machine gun. And so it's like, man, I can't imagine what that would be like, but he yeah. thinks it's the same about me. And it's just natural to, to, it's hard to fathom a life that we haven't lived. We can imagine it. Um, but still those feelings aren't quite as genuine uh, as if we were to actually experience it. And I think we all have the tendency to downplay ourselves and upplay others. And in a lot of ways, what that allows us to do is continue to play small. It's a survival mechanism yeah. where our, our, our mind tells us that because we think that we're smaller than the other, we're not capable of doing what he did. And, and that's the last thing that I want the listeners who are hearing this to, to say to themselves is, oh man, like Dylan's story is incredible. I, I could never do what he did. Yeah. When in fact, I know that each and every person here is going to experience some sort of adversity in their life. And it may not be what I went through, but I know that they're capable of, of enduring and ultimately coming out on the other side of that stronger. But to do so, you really have to do a lot of self-discovery. And what that comes down to is getting vulnerable with yourself uh, to understand what it is that truly drives you and play to your strengths. You know, there's no sense in trying to be someone for everyone. Just be yourself in all scenarios and you're going to come off as the most powerful person that you can be because that's truly who you are. You know, recently I heard an interview by Gary Vee and someone asked him like how to find your niche. And he said, my niche is being me because there's no one else like me. <laughs> that's true for everyone, right? Yeah. Like why, why do we feel like we need to be Gary Vee when we can just be ourselves? And that's no. the most powerful version that can show up each and every day. No, and I agree. I mean, I th two things that come to mind, I, I heard this quote again the other day, and I've said it again on a few episodes, is comparison is a thief of all joy. And I think it was Albert Einstein that said it. And, you know, again, it's just one of those things where I think a lot of us get stuck in it. And part of it, you know, could be because of social media, and it's that much easier nowadays to do so. But I couldn't agree that you have to be very careful about what you compare yourself to or who you compare yourself to. And then the other thing about just being yourself, again, you know, I think that there's a lot of people out there, we, there's a lot of talk about imposter syndrome, you know, and I think that a lot of that is simply because too many of us are trying to be like somebody else. We're trying to, you know, obviously if being imposter syndrome, we're trying to, you know, act like somebody else. Um, and even I fell through, fell into that with, you know, social media, getting onto social media a couple of years ago and just going hard on sharing this story of like success and stuff like that when that wasn't really who I was or what I was living, but I was putting it out there because, you know, it got me the likes and it got me the attention. And, and that's why I fell off completely because I was like, this isn't me. And now I'm starting to find myself and through this podcast and other things that I'm doing. I'm really starting to come into my own and it feels a hell of a lot better. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. And imposter syndrome, it's, it's easy. It's easy to fall into that trap and it's real. Um, you know, and comparison is one thing, but it's like, it's also necessary because, uh, especially for someone like me, I, I love to compete. And, you know, so when I, when I, um, 
to kind of like tie tie the ends up to the story is you know January 2017 I did my last uh, of over 60 treatments that I did over the course of you know like three four years and so um, but I was still I like to say stage four in a lot of other areas of my life uh, I was 260 pounds I had like 10 inches of hair and I was still I was still drinking I had kicked the drugs by that point but uh, still living pretty unhealthily in a lot of ways. And so um, it was it was one of those things where I looked myself in the mirror and I could see this version of me, the person that I am today. But I knew that the person that I was in that moment, I uh, was not living in alignment with, with the person that I am today. And so I think imposter syndrome does come from not keeping the promises that we make to ourselves, and And that was a big step for me was um saying no to the friends on friday and saturday night um to say you know what like this is where i'm going and and going out tonight doesn't align with with where i'm trying to go and it was hard at first but then they started to see how those changes were positively impacting my life and then they started to support it and then they started to make positive changes in their own life because they they could see that the choices that we make on a daily basis truly do have long-term effects in, in, uh, you know, creating the person that we're, we're becoming. No. And what amazes me there is like how you just sort of said, like when you started making the changes, people around you started making them too. And I think that that's the thing that a lot of us are missing is that we, we think that, you know, we have to follow somebody else or we have to like, you know, accountability I think is definitely key, but we feel like we need somebody else to sort of get us there or whatever. And at the end of the day, like we have to make the decision for ourselves, become the better version of ourselves. And then the most you can hope for, like you just said, is that people will come along and in your case they did. And again, I think that's an important message. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things where, again, it goes back to the story we tell ourselves and it's like the people that you surround yourself with do have an impact. You know, we have these conversations where it's like, Oh, how you doing today? Oh, you know, another day, another dollar. Or like, yeah, the, weather, the weather's pretty nice. Yeah. And it's like, and, and we just take that um, when it, we're not willing to be, to be vulnerable, but also we're not willing to, to say, you know what, like today's a, today's a great day. Yeah. Wow. Regardless of what happened, like there are some positives that we can find in each and every day. And it's like this, what I've discovered is the same mechanism that caused me to be severely depressed and, you know, contemplating suicide. If I flip that on its head, and decided to say, you know what, instead of seeing everything as a complete negative, what if I saw it in the inverse? And it started to change the story that I wrote, you know, instead of saying, you know, I don't have any control over where I'm going in my life and I'm just a subject of my circumstances. There are things that I can control and those are the choices that I make in this moment. And ultimately what I found was that the choices in this moment also, ultimately determine the person that I become and so I think that's true for anyone these big changes that we see you know like oh three years versus today there's a lot of choices that I've made over the last three years that have created the person that I am today and so it's not too big for anybody it comes down to the very smallest of moments and it's ultimately the promises that we keep ourselves 
No, for sure. Uh, you know, it, it's something that sort of sparked in my head when you were saying all that was, I remember walking into work one day and my boss asked me how I was doing. And I said, I got to wake up this morning and I'm here. So I'm having a great day. And he goes, wow. He goes, I wish more people had that attitude. And I said, well, I think it's just the fact that I've sort of realized what's a priority in my life, you know, and, and I realized what's important. And when you do that, then you realize that even just waking up in the morning and being able to sort of have another day and everything is, is, is really the, the best that we all can hope for. And then and everything after that is just a matter of what, like you said, what you do with your day and what you make of it. Yeah. And even probably from a productivity standpoint, I'm sure you got so much more done that day than you did on days when you <laughs> shut up and you're like, man, I don't even want to be here, you know? And it's like, yeah. everything is a chore. Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. So if you were to take everything that you sort of shared in this episode and you were to sort of put it all together and, and look at how it's helped you get to where you're at right now in your life, how would you say it's done that? Like what, I mean, I can already sort of get an idea in terms of like showing you, you know, how to overcome adversity and all that kind of stuff. But is there anything that you can think of that if you were to take everything you've learned over your 28 years, how has it helped you get to where you're at right now? Yeah. So, I, I mean, I sum it up like this and it's basically, uh, you know, I, I shared in, in every one of my podcasts, and it's this, is that I believe that adversity is a universal experience. You know, so it's not the what, it's not the losing of the job, it's not the cancer, it's not the car accident, it's not the what, it's how it makes us feel. And so that's why I believe that adversity is a universal experience that can not only unite us, but because we share that universal experience, um, and we can relate to one another through it. Um, so that's why I believe that adversity is a universal experience that can not only unite us, but transform us into the people, teams, and organizations that we are meant to become. And so it's not a matter of if adversity is going to come into our life. It's just a matter of when. And so if we can build that strong foundation in our identity and know that who we are and how we're going to show up regardless of our circumstances – we're going to be able to better handle that uh, adversity when it does, you know, come into our life. Well, that's a strong point there. So would you say that at this point in your life where you're at right now, would you say that you found success and fulfillment in your life or would you say that you're still on a journey towards that? Uh, <laughs> I, so again, words are very important. Yeah. The way that question is framed in my mind is that success is a des destination and I don't buy into that narrative. Yeah, yeah, I've found happiness and success in a hospital bed where I could not get up without the help of someone else. I could not go to the bathroom without the help of someone else. And it was in those moments where I found success in the smallest of wins, you know, making it to the bathroom on time because at that point I was a 23-year-old uh, baby, essentially. I had to be taken care of in all aspects. I had lost a lot of the functions that we we take for granted each and every day. And so again, I, I don't believe that success is a destination. I think uh, being su successful ultimately comes down to uh, the amount of promises that we keep to ourselves on a daily basis. And if we do that, if we trust the process of that, uh, success is, is going to follow. It might not look like the success that we've dreamed up in our minds, um, but again, I, I, I could not have dreamed up this, this life that I've lived seven years ago. You know, if, if someone were to tell me that this is what the next seven years are going to look like when I turn 21, I, <laughs> I would have been like, there's no way I'm going to make it through those seven years. Yeah. But somehow 
through the help of so many other people. You know, I'm, I, there's no way I could possibly begin to take credit for all of this on my own. So many people have stepped up uh, to help me and, and continue to support um, not only me, but the things that I'm passionate about. Um, and I could not be more grateful. No, for sure. And the the thing with that question is I sort of, I sort of, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is right now, but I sort of connected to the first one. I, I like asking that question because I like the fact that people define it differently. So it's the same thing with the first question and the last question, you know, you're the first person to, to sort of put it that way and like saying that, you know, you're, you're thinking by putting the question that way, I'm trying to define it, but I'm literally just trying to see what people say because everybody, again, just like the first one has had a different way of putting it. Some people have said, yes, I feel successful, but I don't feel fulfilled. Some people have said the opposite. Some people have said neither. And then, so I, I sort of put it that way just to see what I get out of people. And I, I'm glad yeah. that, you know, I got something different out of you, which, which is usually what happens. So, so we're getting down to the end here. Um, one of the last questions that I have, or the last question I should say that I have is, you know, if people were to listen back to this, there's tons of things that they can take away from it, tons of lessons that they can learn, you know, if they were to take notes and all that but I like to have my guests give people three key takeaways from their journey that they could then implement into their own life right now. So if there's three key takeaways you could give us, that'd be awesome. Yeah. I think number one uh, is that again, belief is the most important thing. Uh, one of the books that I'm reading right now is called the magic of thinking big. And ultimately what it comes down to is uh, the ability to see things as more than they currently are. And so if you can dream it, uh, you can, you can work towards it. Um, if you believe that you can't be anything more than you are today, that will also play out in your life. And so I believe that each and every one of us, regardless of where we're at in our life are capable of being more than we are today. And what that implies is that better days are ahead. Um, two, I will say that, um, energy is so important um again it, and when i say energy it's like it's not just about like how we show up are we spasmatic or something like that it's like <laughs> one of the things that cancer really taught me was i became very in tune with the energy of my own body but also i could i i got this very keen sense of how people were feeling the moment that they stepped in the door and so i i've shared this story a few times but i actually uh, dism dismissed a nurse from her shift um, because oh, wow. she made she made me feel like I, everything that she was doing for me was a burden. And huh. uh, at a time where I was fighting for my life, I couldn't have that energy in the same room as me. No kidding. And I think more people have to have the courage uh, to draw that line in the sand and say, I mean, ultimately, what it is is drawing boundaries, right? Um, and so that's what so much of this comes down to is if we're if we're willing to put up with anything our our results are going to be very vague if if we are very specific on the energy that we allow into our life um the the opportunities become much more focused and i think that's probably the third point that i'll make is that focus is key regardless of what you're trying to do um I think so many people, when we think of what it means to think big is like, Oh, I want to start this business and I want to transform my body. And like, we come up with this list of goals and you know, we're two months into 2020 now and 
if people did create goals for 2020, maybe the list was 10, 15, 20 items long. But the curious thing about that is we will actually achieve more goals uh, if we focus on them one at a time yeah. uh, versus trying to attack all 20 at the same time because 20 things is pretty intimidating and it's hard to make progress or even see progress towards the achievement of 20 goals. But if we focus on one thing and that's an, you know, that's another thing that cancer taught me was that I was focused on one thing for like three years and that was literally beating cancer. I wasn't worried about anything else. And so when we focus on one thing for an extended period of time, uh, you know, that's putting trust in the process. And there was a period in time where I didn't know what the end was going to look like, but I just kept buying into the idea that each and every treatment brought me one step closer to that goal of, you know, ultimately getting healthy again. And, and fortunately for me, it happened. Sometimes it doesn't, but again, it comes down to the focus of what is important in our life and where are we trying to go? And uh, the only chance we have of getting there is, is focusing on, on uh, the process that will ultimately give us our best chance to achieve that end goal. No. Uh, key key three there and and you know again this whole episode is full of a ton of things that people can learn and and take into their own life but those three were definitely uh were definitely a good way to end it off so the last thing is uh is not so much a question but i like to give everybody an opportunity to sort of promote themselves whatever they're up to um basically just yeah put yourself out there let people know where to find you on social where's best to connect with you all that kind of stuff so the floor is yours go ahead yeah, so I, I appreciate that, first of all. Um, you can look me up on Instagram, uh, LinkedIn. Uh, you can also just Google me. There's some stuff on YouTube out there of different speeches that I've given to uh, athletic teams and things like that. Um, so, you know, my name's spelled Dylan, D-Y-L-A-N, Slattery, S-L-A-T-T-E-R-Y. My uh, website is stage4toonstage.com, and I can give you that link uh, to put in the notes. But one of the things that I'm really passionate about is uh, helping other people. So giving back uh, with the story that I've, uh, you know, I've been living out. And so right now what I'm focused on is um, training for a boxing match in June. It's a charity event in downtown Denver. Um, and my cause is supporting young adult cancer survivors. So it's this unique organization called First Ascents that provides life-changing outdoor experiences to young adult cancer survivors with the goal of helping them outlive it, not just the disease, but getting outside and truly living life and experiencing nature. And so uh, in 2018, I went up to Hood River, Oregon and learned how to whitewater kayak with a bunch of other uh, complete rock star cancer survivors. Uh, some of them were in the midst of doing treatments. So it's not limited to people who are, you know, done with treatments or have cancer in the rearview mirror. Uh, you can be anywhere along the journey and still uh, experience this. And ultimately what it did for me was it helped me put cancer in its place really in uh, <laughs> not let cancer define my life, but ultimately allow me to define the role that cancer has played in my life and uh, use it in a powerful way moving forward. So I want to provide that opportunity to as many people as I can. And so through the boxing experience, uh, my goal is to raise $10,000. And what I'm doing is I got this guy to donate a boxing robe uh, for me. So I, 
my last name's Slattery. It's Irish. So it's this Irish themed boxing robe. And uh, on the right side of the robe, it has like the Irish knots. And in the knots, uh, people can nominate someone who's been impacted by cancer in their life uh, for a donation of $100. And so um, I think we're up getting close to about $2,000 right now, only about wow. two weeks into the fundraiser. So I'm super excited about that. And, you know, the whole theme behind that is I've never been alone in this journey and I don't want anyone else to feel that way either. And so I'm bringing, I, my goal is to bring a hundred uh, names of people who have been impacted by cancer with me into the ring on June 11th. Is all that, is, 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 and is all that information going to be on your website as well? Just cause uh, I want to definitely put that in the show notes and get it out there for people to, to hear about. Yeah. So I'll send you that link as well. It's through an organization called Haymakers for Hope. And okay. uh, yeah, I'll give you that link uh, with my fundraising page where, uh, you know, people can handle everything from there. Uh, you can make the donation and also uh, leave your nominee in the comments that, uh, you know, I'll include on the, on the boxing robe that will be printed off uh, before the fight that I'll be wearing to the ring. Awesome. Well, I'll make sure, like I said, to get all that in the show notes and, and we'll, I'll definitely see how I can help you promote that as well. Cause that's a pretty incredible cause. And, and yeah, I mean, just this whole interview, man, uh, I'm glad that we got on here. I'm definitely looking forward to connecting more. Um, and, and yeah, just, you know, having you on possibly again, you talked about, I think just before we got on here about a book that's going to be coming up and I want to help you with that as well. This has been a, a, an impactful one. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I look forward to getting to know more about you and, and thank you for, you know, coming on, being so vulnerable, sharing so openly and, you know, cause we don't really know each other. And that's one thing that continues to impress me about this whole thing is like, I don't know everybody that I bring on like that. Well, some people more than others, but the fact that you're willing to come on here and be so open with me, I appreciate it a ton. And, and I think my listeners will as well. Likewise, man, happy to help in, in any way that I can. And, uh, you know, I think, well, you know, one of the things that I hear so often is like, man, if you're willing to get punched in the face for a cause, like that's, uh, that's some pretty solid dedication. And so <laughs> I think that's why so many people have been willing to get behind and support the causes. Um, you know, I think in a world where, uh, people are just trying to be loud and, and get attention, um, true, uh, not just vulnerability, but, uh, authenticity, yeah. Uh, shine, shines through and people see through that <laughs> they see through the loudness and and the uh you know maybe uh not so real version of people that are being presented online and so i would just encourage people to be to be vulnerable and be authentic uh and, and just find themselves and be themselves and uh it's amazing how the world starts to align and opp opportunities present themselves that are in alignment with uh you know who you are once we decide to uh be that person and move forward well great way to end it off man you look like you're getting cold out there so go warm up and again thank you it's for... actually warming up so I'm about, yes. the, I'm about to hit the slopes and uh <laughs> hopefully i make it down the hill in one piece so <laughs> hopefully, man. On. thanks man take care all right take care god bless Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and follow the podcast on Instagram at vulnerable.podcast or on Facebook and LinkedIn. You can also follow me, Brian Almeida, by searching my name on all platforms. 
If the podcast has impacted you in any way, I would also greatly appreciate a review. Lastly, if you know anyone with a great story of going from struggle to success, I would love to have them on. Thank you and see you next week.